And welcome back to the Smooth Vega Podcast. Look, it's been a minute. So glad to be back. If you're listening on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, make sure to click follow, hit five stars, leave a review. You already know the routine and pass it along. Let everybody know. And with that being said, I am honored and excited to introduce my next guest. I have a long standing history with this man. And look, no exaggeration, once upon a time, sometime like I would say 2006, maybe, I stood in line for almost two hours at an autograph session to meet him. Years later, as many of you guys know, I, I have a very established history as a promoter, uh, but my very first show that I ever booked uh, with a national recording artist was actually with my next guest. He is a multi-platinum recording artist, and quite frankly, one of my favorite artists to ever do it. I am joined here by none other than Frankie J. What's up? <laughs> How are you doing, Frankie? That was an awesome introduction, dude. That was an awesome introduction. You know, I, I, never, I never plan these things, dude. I just wing them on the spot. <laughs> but I, it was cool because it's you, you know, and obviously I've known you for a long time, like I mentioned. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I don't want this to be the conventional, like, <clears throat> how'd you get started singing? How did you come up with your name? You know, I want this to be like a little bit of history, but at the same time, I want to get your perspective. And, for sure. And I want to give you your, your, your just due because there's so much there, but... Before I go any further, I like the t-shirt. Oh, thanks, dude. Oh, you know, bro. I'm a big Selena fan, dude. I love this woman. <laughs> She's amazing. Great great singer and and uh, just an all-time, all-around, you know, artist that opened doors for, for me yeah. and for many others. Icon. Know? Icon, for sure. Yeah. And we're going to get to the record, See and I Vest, because I know that you did a rendition of that record. You did a yeah. version of that record with Playing Skills. I want to get to that in a second, but before I go any further, I want to say that, you know, this is unfiltered, uncensored stuff here. Let's make it interesting. <laughs> this industry is very interesting because I just mentioned right now that, you know, once upon a time, I was a fan that mm-hmm. stood in line for hours at an autograph session to meet you. Then years later, I decided to jump into being a promoter, which obviously that's what I could, I'm still doing to this day. Right. Um, and I've evolved in different roles, but you know, you were the first artist that I ever booked. And let's be honest, man. Like you know, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it whatsoever. Yeah. This industry is filled with a lot of dickheads, oh, a lot man. of assholes, and a lot of people that uh, <laughs> that you know. I would say early on, facts. <laughs> I would say pretty early on in my career, you know, I. I I got treated bad by a lot of people, you know, and I don't, right. I understand it's kind of, you know, yeah, you don't have any ill will towards them, but yeah, I, well, I totally understand you. It's funny you say that, right? <laughs> Actually. You see what happened was. <laughs> no, it's because, you know, I, I always chalked it up to paying dues, right. right? Like, oh, okay, I'm paying dues early on, but um, as you know, obviously, I, I've been working with Louis the Singer since he was a kid. and That's right, man. And so I remember, you know, whenever... You 2007 I think one of the actually the first time I met you mm-hmm. he was right next to me and at that time you were like his favorite singer right you were like the guy that kind of inspired him to get into music and yeah. you were always good to him but years later in 2009 right. whenever we recorded his first real song it was me you and Jose Melendez and oh we were, wow <laughs> and we were driving back to the airport and I played you the song and when I played you the song um, you did did I vi- like it? Did I say no? You know about what? It? You actually said it was good, and you you, yeah. did, you did a video drop, and you shouted him out. But oh, it did okay. it did wonders for him, you know, at yeah. that time for him to see someone that he looked up to and someone that he respected, give him that credit. But I say that to say, when I say the people in the industry have, there's a lot of people that weren't good to us. You know, I see what you're saying. And like there was a lot of people. I know where that you're were, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of people that were assholes to, to <laughs> not only me and Louis. And now that are coming back around years later, that he's starting to circulate and he's starting to really do his thing right now. There's people that were really fucking bad to us that are coming yeah. around trying to do business with us. But I say that to say you were one of the few people that has always been consistently not only good to mm-hmm. myself, to him, but to to people in general. I'm, so I got to yeah. give you credit on that, man. That's, Appreciate that's, that, man. Thank you. You know, I mean, good. I've always, I've always been um, a good person, all, all, you know, to, to, I feel to everybody that I've, uh, that I've met. I don't think I've ever been a jerk to, to, to anyone. Um, 
I've always believed that whenever you meet somebody, uh, not only in the industry, but in any in anything anywhere, uh, genuinely you, it just comes out of me. You know, being nice and being humble, uh, because that's the kind of home that I was raised in. Everything starts at home. Yeah. My father, my mother, uh, always taught us to to be kind to people. They were never ever that way. You know, uh, rude or or hateful. Um, or, you know, jerks to anybody, <laughs> for, for, for lack of better words. But uh, they were always very um, genuine when it comes to, you know, teaching us the morals and, and how to be with people in the outside world. So meeting people from, you know, uh, you know from high places and, and, you know, humble places at the same time, like you treat them the same. Yeah. Um, and that's how you're supposed to be in this in this world. You know, there's no other way that you you should be. I wish everybody was like you, and I wish everybody had the same mindset <laughs> that you did because it's not like that, right? Like the industry has a tendency to be. And well, I'm there's speak- people that have egos, and yeah. yeah, they're very prideful, and they're like, "Who are you? What do you, you know, whatever." But I, you know, I, I've always been the the type of person to shake hands with everybody mm-hmm. and to look them straight in the eye, you know, and say, "Hey, man, nice to meet you. Good luck with everything that you're doing." And all your endeavors man best wishes you know and it's so interesting because i said in 2008 when i started my talent buying career you were actually the first artist that i ever booked yeah and, and this was I, 2008 yeah you're this right this is now uh 15 years ago right so here we are yeah. 15 years later uh your son's in the building i don't know how old was he back then he was probably like well this was 2008 he was three he was three years old and now he's a grown-ass man no 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 2000 no what am i saying he was eight years old he was seven years old he was already seven years old no i'm talking about i'm thinking about my daughter my daughter was born in 2005 frankie was born in 2000 so yeah he probably would have been he was a little boy and now he's a man in the building with us today but you know i say that to say you know it's so interesting because for those that don't know, which obviously the public doesn't know, but I shared this on Clubhouse one time. Uh, the first time that I booked you, I was green as grass. <laughs> Never done it in my life. You had no idea if I was going to sell tickets <laughs> no, or if I was going to do any. <laughs> and it's so funny because I got hustled by the guy that sold me the show. Oh, that's right. right. It was a guy by the name that does not deserve any credit whatsoever. There you go, yeah. And uh, man, I don't know Shame how. Shame on him, man. You know, yeah, he got me, he got me for a few grand, uh, but you Jeez. were cursed courteous enough to get on the phone with me the night before and we had already booked your flight and you took a chance on me mm-hmm. and you said look man I don't normally do this I don't get on the phone with the buyer I don't do this but I don't want to see you get taken advantage of and you agreed to jump on that flight and you came in and as soon as you landed we did right by you we gave you the money yeah. and you sold out two shows for me that night yeah. which I should have profited more money had I not right. hustled. no of course <laughs> but you know but you did that and I'll never forget that and I'm always grateful yeah. for that because look I don't know where I would have been had that collapsed. For sure. So, thank you, man. Thank no, you for doing course, that, man. man. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And here we are years later uh, on, on the podcast. We've done several shows with each other, and I'm extremely proud of everything that you've done and continue to do. You know, you know I, I, I believe that when you do right to people, uh, it comes right back to you, and vice versa. If you do bad to people, it's something that, you know, you, you reap what you sow. Mm. And, um, yeah, man, I think it's always good to, to just be to do the right thing. And, yeah. you know, sometimes in the industry, it's very hard to trust. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's very, very hard to trust. But uh, I think even in that time, I was going through a certain walk, you know, at, um, at the moment during during those years. Yeah. And I was just trying to do the right thing in everything that I was doing when it came, to, when it came down to my career and the business. And I, you know, yeah, man, it worked out. It worked out. Here we are, man. You know, and so I want to transition that into, you know, a subject that me and you have had conversations about, but mm-hmm. I would love for people that are watching to kind of have a more broader understanding of which is the hardships that you experienced as a, Me- a Mexican-American, you know, recording yeah. artist, you know, specifically you doing R&B music. Obviously, you know, it goes without saying, multi-platinum recording artist. You've yeah. been nominated for multiple Grammys. Yeah. You've actually won Grammys. Um, yeah. So, and you know, obviously, strong songwriter, you know, it goes on. It goes without saying. I don't even need to give you the rap sheet. <laughs> but, but, you being a Mexican Mexican-American R&B singer at a time yeah. where 
let's be honest, man. You were kind of one of the first of your kind, right? If not the first. And yeah. uh, what are some of the hardships that you experience being, you know, you know, a brown R&B singer, man? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, San Diego, California. It was you tough, know? man. It wasn't easy. And, you know, I want to add uh, that there were a few acts that came first uh, with, with you know, being Latino and doing some R&B uh, New Flavor. Oh, yeah, New Flavor. New Flavor had come in, and, you know, they had some success with Heaven. I love that song. And they had another song called Sweet Sexy Thing. Uh, even before New Flavor, there was a group called the Barrio Boys. Oh, I remember the Barrio Boys. The Barrio Boys, Boys attempted uh, to do the R&B thing, but even they struggled. The, the album did not have success. And soon after that, uh, I think their project ended up crumbling. And I know this firsthand because I know some of the guys. They're, they're friends of mine. I've met all of them. I think, yeah, I've met all of them. Um, and they've kind of given me some stories. And they actually had also some stories to share with me because of them being Latino doing R&B. But um, with that said, uh, not many of us have been successful successful yeah. in the R&B realm. Uh, another group that that came in also in the picture was a group called Voices of Theory. Well, I remember those Voices guys. of Theory had a song called Say It and um, they had some success. They Their first album sold, I believe it went gold. We were actual, it's funny man, because we were actual label mates at one point. They were signed to a label called Ola Recordings, home of Latino artists. Oh wow. I was signed when I was uh, 18 years old to that record label. This was in 96. Wow. And um, so I saw that growing up as a kid and it inspired me. Another kid, well now he's a grown grown man, Bobby Ross Avila, that also was a little kid back then doing pop R&B music. Uh, he was opening up for New Kids on the Block way back in the days now he he was taken under the wing of jimmy jam and terry lewis but now bobby's writing and producing for usher uh shaka khan um i mean you name it some of the greatest you know artists yeah. of, of of today's you know age and um but they did not continue as artists right gotcha. so when i came into the picture all of that i had seen already mm. and um in my time, when I came out as an R&B artist, it wasn't really a thing. Yeah. So when I started doing, you know, uh, R&B music, pop R&B, and I came out with Don't Wanna Try, I remember that song was just everywhere on the radio stations. Everywhere, I man. That. I could not go anywhere, and that song was not being played on the radio. And, I, and for me, being Mexicano, uh, singing R&B, pop R&B music, uh, I felt so proud because a lot of people doubted me. Yeah. When I left the group, the Cumbia Kings, because obviously y'all know uh, I was part of that group. When I left the group, people did not know where I was going to go. If I was going to go straight to Cumbia, if I was going to stay in Spanish music, or if I was going to venture off into doing some, who knows what. Yeah. When I told everybody that I was going to do pop R&B music, they were like, man... Don't do it. Not too many of us are out there doing that. You're not going to succeed. And I would just tell you to go with what you already know, which is Spanish, do cumbia. I'm not going to mention names, but they said that to me. And I said, no. I go, watch me. I'm going to do it. Whether you doubt it, you know, whether you doubt me or not, I said, I'm going to do it. And when I got signed... At 25 years old, man, I, I got signed to Columbia for a million dollars. And I saw that there was a, a gap right there just waiting for me to fill it. I just grabbed the bull by the horns, man, and I just went. I went at it. And I produced a, a whole entire album with a very good friend of mine named James Galvez. Uh, who have, We've been friends since high school. And... Andy Quinn, who's my guitarist, was also part of that whole entire uh, journey. And they saw everything that we were doing, how we were putting it all together. They gave me 30 
days to finish one full album. 30 days. Wow. And I was writing the songs. Luckily, I already had about six or seven songs written, but the production still needed some, um, you know, some more, I guess, uh, I guess detailed in, yeah. in the production and, and the way that we were going to put together the whole project. But soon after that, I wrote like four or five more songs and then we finished the whole entire album. We did 12 songs. and uh, But the first one being Don't Want to Try, uh, it just kind of took off. And soon after that, uh, there's another song that came out called Sugar Sugar. Yeah. Right? So then when Sugar Sugar came out, it was soon after, like maybe six months after Don't Want to Try. I had already uh, an established name and I had already been traveling, you know, all over the United States and, uh, you know, going to Canada and promoting Don't Want to Try. So when Sugar Sugar came in... <laughs> It was that it's funny because that record was supposed to be my my second single. Yeah. And when we showed it to Columbia, Columbia said, "Nah. This song does not sound good for Frankie." So of course, Charles, my manager at the time, asked me, he goes, "Hey man, I don't know what to do with this record." And he goes, "Should we just have Bash take it and I can get him signed to Universal and you are already with Columbia with mm -hmm. Sony?" And now if I was to manage him as well, then we could do some big things together. And I said, let him have it, get him signed to Universal, and let's go. He, I said, at the end of the day, I wrote it with him. Yeah. So no matter what, at the end of the day, I win. We both win. We all win. And when Columbia found out that Ronnie had gotten signed with Universal, yeah. they were like, oh, shit. Okay, so they're going to push the record. And then soon after that, the record only took... Bash went on, on, on a promotional tour with me. I took him with me on a promo run for like about... I think it was a week or so. And I started doing shows, uh, obviously still promoting uh, Don't Want to Try, still you know doing shows with Don't Want to Try, and We Still, which was my second single off the What's a Man to Do album. And we were performing Sugar Sugar together. Nobody knew the record, but it started to blow up yeah. soon after that. And man, the rest is history. You know, and Columbia was kicking themselves in the ass soon after. So that's when Obsession came. It was after all that, you know, that, that um, run of Don't Want to Try and Sugar Sugar. And man, I was looking at royalty checks like crazy. They were yeah. coming in. And it was a it, it was an amazing freaking experience. Well, you know, and you mentioned you know having you know pride. Whenever you heard "Don't Want to Try," I think for me, and for a lot of people like myself, you know, I grew mm -hmm. up listening to R and B music. I'm actually an R and B fan before anything else. Right. So, you know, Voices of Theory, New Flavor. I I know all of those groups. Yeah. And believe it or not, I remember once upon a time. Remember All for One. Of course. I used to think that all for one because there was two light skins in the yeah. group. They're Latinos. <laughs> the guy with the mustache, he's Mexican. I know he is. Yeah, so he's got to be. So I adopted them guys as uh, some of my faves. Uh, but, yeah. you know, hearing your record, Don't Want to Try, it was definitely, for me, an exciting time to see someone represent us and do it in that yeah. in that way that you did. And, you know, I dedicated that song to a lot of girls. You know, back oh, in you the did? Day. Yeah, oh, yeah, dude. Did I, you get lucky? You know, I got lucky. I even dropped a little verse <laughs> on one of those and I gave it to a girl on a mixtape. You know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, what's so cool about that is like, you, you mentioned, um, you know, you and Bash. Yeah. You know, you guys. That was the start of our relationship. You know, I mean, as here brothers, you are, man. 20 plus years later, you guys are still doing shows together. Yeah. You know, you guys are. Yeah, I was kind of telling this to Bash recently. Yeah. I was like, you know, um, I don't feel like our culture has a lot of like legacy acts in terms of the the on the American side on the Mexican American yeah. side and I go and you guys are really kind of the first of that kind because I go if you noticed maybe 2010 to like 15 it was a kind of a weird time and, and the yeah. internet was coming in and it was starting to become more and more of a thing social media came in and started becoming more and more of a thing but the pay for the artists wasn't as high as it is now it's actually interesting because some of you guys are making more money today than you were in 2015 right and it's only because now the the 
the appetite for these shows and that that feeling, that nostalgic feeling. And it's not to take anything away from the artists because you guys right, are still yeah. producing new music. For but sure. those hits are freaking timeless, dude. Like yeah. people love those songs. Like you know, Sugar Sugar just recently yeah. went four times platinum. Yeah. And even as far back as maybe a year ago, uh, it went viral on TikTok again. Yeah. Like it went, it just became a hit all over again. Yeah. And I always wonder, like as big as you guys were. In 2001, 2002, I remember seeing you on TRL, you yeah, know, and, man, and I remember all that. You know, I saw you guys on MTV. I saw you get punked by Ashton Kutcher, Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, the Michael Jackson stuff, like all that stuff. Like I couldn't believe it, man. <laughs> those were all, those are all like cultural things that I remember. Yeah, but cool man, moments. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying, like to like, how different do you think it would have been with? A TikTok and an Instagram and oh, it would have uh, exploded <laughs> tremendously. Right now, we would probably we wouldn't even be able to walk in the street. Yeah, I mean that's how crazy big I think it, it would have been uh, with all the technology, uh, all these you know um, apps and social media networks. I mean, I think back then, if if anybody, if they would have had a a big record, forget it, it, it would have been over. I mean, it would have been. Just like what it is today, like with all these kids that are coming up with, you know, with these hits that are just exploding over TikTok yeah. over overnight, yeah. you know, and they're getting millions and millions of hits, millions of views, and people are getting their, you know, they're, rec they're recognizing them out in the street. Um, they can't really go anywhere and, and uh, they're making a nice living out of it. I think if we would have had TikTok back then and, you know, the social media <laughs> world, it would have been... A chicken wrap, dude. It would have been a wrap, man. You know, and and so you know when "Don't Wanna Try" came out in two thousand and three, because I wrote that song in two thousand and two. I wrote it when I was in the Kumbia case. Yeah, it was actually on one of the Kumbia. It was written exactly. I remember that. And we went to court. We had a big old battle. Not a lot of people know about this, but you know, uh, they sued me. Mm. The company sued me. Capital EMI sued me, and we went to battle. Uh, with this whole thing in court and then they got they they got to, the chance to have don't want to try on the fir the album cuatro i remember that with uh cumbia kings and yeah i think um i want to say chris perez did a a, a solo uh on if the it, record you know and another song that i wrote called count on me mm. he did a, a solo on that those two songs were uh were on the album cuatro but it's crazy because we went to court and then three months after that album came out was when What's a Man to Do came out. We were supposed to come out before that and we would have probably sold a lot more records having it been on, on the album Cuatro. You know what? I agree, but I will say this. I remember hearing it on the Cumbia Kings album yeah. and when I heard it on the album, I liked the song. Right. But it felt a little bit overproduced. But it sounded different. It was a little overproduced. It had too much. And the version that came out on the album that you yeah. had was stripped down. Yeah. It which was a little was, bit more stripped down. It was which, a lot better. Which was a lot more uh, For impactful. Sure. When you talk about the Gumbia Kings, you know, uh, let's, let's just kind of go to that the end of your time there when you decided uh, you know what I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do R&B pop. This is now the route I'm gonna go. What was the ultimate deciding factor for you to do that was it just a matter well it of wasn't like, me deciding to leave I got fired oh I actually why did you get fired Frankie? <laughs> I, I, got just, fired. I just got done doing an introduction about <laughs> how you're a nice guy let me find out you're a party but animal. I wasn't being a jerk or, or I wasn't being this this hoodlum kid that was just not taking care of, of of his priorities uh, I wasn't um, this kid that was just going out there doing crazy things uh, this was an actual um, honest um Excuse, if I if I may, uh, I think uh, I was traveling back from San Diego, mm. back to uh, Texas, and this is how I used to live. I was going back to see my my kids uh, all the time. Like if I wasn't working, I didn't want to be there. Yeah. I wanted to be with my kids. Correct. And I would always drive. I wasn't making that much money back then. I was, dude. I was making three four hundred dollars a show. Gotcha. So whatever amount of money that I was able to save or have, I would pay my rent. Mm. And then the rest, I would save it and be like, okay, what can I do? I buy myself some clothes, shoes, whatever. 
And sometimes I'd be like, you know what? I'm going back to San Diego. I don't have any shows. And I would always call the bosses, which was always AB and Cruz at the time. And uh, I would say, hey, are we doing anything? Are we recording? Are we doing any shows? Nah, you're good for like, you know, three, four weeks. So I would have to, I would just pick up and go, dude. I would drive 20 hours back to San Diego and I would Damn. drive back whenever it was time for me. You know, they would call me and be like, yo, Cisco, that was what they would call me, right? Yeah. Yo, Cisco, uh, we're doing uh, a couple of shows uh, this weekend. Can you, can you make sure you're here? Absolutely. Boom. Hang up the phone. And then the next day I'd be making my, my, my way back to Texas. So when I got back to Texas, I, I, got, I got here late. I, I want to say it was San Antonio. Um, and it was a sold-out show, 5,000 people. So when I got back, I got, I missed one song. The guys had already gone on stage. I missed one song, which I think it was Boom Boom. I got on stage after. And right when I got on stage, I was freaking roasted in front of 5,000 people, oh. which I, I, you know, I deserved it. Yeah. You know, I deserved it because I was, I was <laughs> late. On. Was he like, stop the show. He's yes. late to the show. Yes. This that's guy exactly finally decided happened. to show up. All 5,000 fans. That's look at exactly it. what happened. Wow. They, as soon as we finished Boom Boom, or they finished Boom Boom because I wasn't on stage yet, um, I got on stage. And that's when I got roasted. And then right after the show, I mean, soon after, like within minutes, man, the fans forgot about that. And we were singing every song. I mean, we were singing uh, Desde Que No Estás Aquí. We were singing Teddy. We were singing Me Enamore Otra Vez. We were singing Me Estoy Muriendo. All, all our hits. And right after the show was when I got fired. Like, uh, like right off? On the bus. Oh, wow. Okay. We went on the bus. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, it, it was, it was, to me, it was like, it wasn't as devastating as I thought it would be. I, I, I actually felt, cause there were some things going on that I think a lot of us were already kind of tired of. Yeah. And it was just like the pinnacle of, it was the last straw. And, uh, and that's what happened, man. And soon after I got, I was, uh, fired, uh, I went back to Corpus and I remember, man, just gathering all my stuff, <laughs> rented a U-Haul, and I said, all right, all right, guys, I guess I'm fired. I'm leaving. So I left. And then days later, I get a call back from Cruz, uh, and he says, hey, man, uh, he didn't want to fire you. He didn't want to fire you. Can you come back? And I was like, what, what do you want me to do now? I mean, there's a lot more. Yeah, that I'm happened. sure. I'm sure. You know, and I'm sure a lot of it's but probably wrapped up with like, you know, respect. There's a lot of stuff that happened. Well, I think a lot of it's probably respect based. You know, yes. Because I think in the industry, you know, um, there's a moral that we live by. You got to respect your people. You got to sure. respect your team. And then if your team doesn't feel valued, ultimately they're yeah. going to be like, you know what? I don't want to be here no more. But for with sure. that being said, you know, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson always says that him being cut by you know the you know the, it was the best thing that ever happened, happened to him, him right it was the best thing that ever happened to him Him not making the nfl mm -hmm. was the best thing that ever happened because look at him now you know it's the same thing right you being yeah. fired in retrospect uh may have been the best thing that ever happened to you because then that opens up the pathway for you to go and decide hey yeah. you know what i was doing this probably in a lot of ways because you know you had let's be clear for those that don't know you you were signed prior to even getting to the Cumbia Kings correct. as Frankie Boy. As a solo artist. Frankie Boy was the name, mm -hmm. correct? And so you were already doing music as a solo artist. That eventually leads for you to get with the Cumbia Kings. Yeah. And then you do your run there. But I think, how old were you at the time? When I when I joined the band, I was 21. 21 years old. I mean, with all due respect, you're, you're, you're just... Barely I'm just starting, starting to live. You're starting mm -hmm. to live, and at that point, any opportunity seems like an opportunity. Right. Uh, it might have not been the right fit, but you know what? Let me try it out. Let me go out. Man, you know what? I'm in front of thousands of people. You know, there are fanfare everywhere. So you think that's where you're meant to be, but ultimately, you were meant for more, yeah. which is ultimately that for you to do. There was a lot more things that I was thinking about than just being in the group. I mean, obviously, I loved the group, it was my college. Yeah. I always say it to everybody. It was yeah. my university. Absolutely. Because I was there for four years. I learned about the business. I learned about the stages. I learned about 
interviews. I learned about radio stations. Uh, I learned about tours. It was all like coming to me and I was just sucking it all up, like, you know, all the knowledge. And I mean, I, I was in love with being on the road. I loved every second about it mm-hmm. and performing. And not, not to mention, I was also writing Great. a lot of their records in, in the English side. And I threw in some ideas here and there on some of the Spanish stuff, but I never got credit for it, for it which was fine because I'm like, dude, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I love and I'm already making a little bit of money here to sustain myself. But um, I learned a lot and it was time for me to finally make that, that move. So when I got let go, I was like, it gave me the strength yeah. and, and, the, and the courage to finally say, you know what? I'm gonna have to do this because there's no other there's no other way around this, and uh, and I thank it. I, I thank them honestly, man. I really do. I thank them for uh, the good, you know, all the good that happened uh, when I was when I was there, and even the bad. I yeah. thank them for that too because that balanced me as a as who I am now. It made me who I am now, and it gave me that proper balance, you know, and uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, everything's a learning experience, right? So um, let's kind of fast forward. You know, you have your run. Uh, you mentioned Sugar Sugar. You mentioned Don't Want to Try. You men- mentioned Obsession, mm-hmm. right? Obsession. Um, you had like a series of records. Just yeah. One after another after another. And then eventually, you know, the end of the the decade started dwindling down. Is that whenever yeah. you went independent, or when did you leave the label? Officially? I I went independent in two thousand nine, I believe. Yeah, I think that was around the time. Yeah, yeah. it was around two thousand nine. I was still with Columbia in two thousand eight, towards the end of two thousand eight, beginning beginning of two thousand nine, and this was when the shift started happening, with um, the labels now catering to these artists that they were signing 360 deals with. Because when I got signed to Columbia, I just got signed for the record deal. They were just getting sales from the records. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started kind of getting the, the feeling of, well, they're not really paying attention to me, so I got to do something yeah. about it. And I remember having a meeting with Columbia, um, asking them, like, hey, man, like I got records, I got songs. I mean, I was working with the Underdogs. I was working with uh, Clutch, the Clutch. Remember the Clutch? They were right. They were writers, man. They, I mean, they had. James, I was working with James Fontelroy. James Fontelroy is now an incredible songwriter for so many artists. I, I was written writing songs with them, uh, writing songs with the Avila Brothers. Um, I was doing records with. You know, three six mafia out of all I people. That. You, you played know, that at one of my shows, and I, the record never came it, out. It was crazy. It never came out. I, I have, man, I have records that you wouldn't even believe that are just sitting there collecting dust. I have so many great songs, well written, well produced records that never got to see the light of day. And I remember showing them to my A and R at Columbia, and he was like, ah, you know, I don't know, and. I remember showing it to uh, even the the president of Colombia at the time. He was a British uh, British man, fr- um, you know, obviously came from London. Was now taking over the the label, and I remember showing these records to a lot of these guys, the big, the big execs, and not one of them said you have a hit. So, I mean, I couldn't do anything with those records because obviously, yeah. you know, there were also other people involved in them that I couldn't just put them out and be like, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and make this money. No. And so, unfortunately, a lot of those records stayed where they're, where they're at now, in the back burner. So I had to figure out what to do for myself as an artist and figure out how to you know, move forward. And that's when I just said, well, get, I want to get my release. And I want to say like in 2009, I got my, my official release from Columbia, from Sony, and I was just, I felt free. I was like, man, what do I do now? And that's when TuneCore was the thing, you know, iTunes. It wasn't Apple yet. It was just iTunes and TuneCore or whatever, or just iTunes. And uh, they were just telling me, put out some music through through iTunes. And I'm like, but how do you do that? 
Yeah. You know, and I started learning all that stuff. And, <laughs> and so I had to, eventually I had to learn all of that on my own and figure out how to continue you know, going, moving forward. But I didn't, I didn't know, man. You know? Would you say that feeling whenever you went independent was similar to the feeling that you had whenever you got fired? Was there like a, a parallel or was it a little bit different now that you had evolved and you had a, it was a know, little bit different because you had a brand now and now that you've had, you're, you're an established name, you know, it's new territory, but nonetheless, you, you had some skin in the game now yeah. because you had Frankie J equity, which, you know, prior to that with the Cumbia Kings, yeah. you were still Cisco. Now you've become Frankie J. Uh, but you know, one thing I want to state, you know, you mentioned Columbia feeling that you didn't have a record there or they didn't yeah. feel that any of these were hits. These are the same guys that told you that Sugar Sugar wasn't correct. Hit. So I just want to make that very clear in this interview yeah. that clearly, At the time, yeah. clearly somebody was disconnected. For sure. Funny, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I, I need you to clarify this on the podcast. Uh, so the gentleman that sold me the show, the very first show that I had uh, ever booked you for, which yeah. he hustled me, right? Yeah. Let's not forget that. Uh, the way he sold me on that is like, you got to book Frankie right now. He has this big record coming out. He has this big record coming which, out. Which one? He said you had a record with Janet Jackson. Really? Is that a lie or is that? Oh my god, that's a total lie. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, he got you on that one, bro. He, got, I was he like, took oh. your money so cold with that one, dude. That's what close the deal. I was like, Damn. Boy, he got he got a record with Janet Jackson. I was like, here's the money. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody ever wants to hustle anybody, drop the Jackson name. That'll get it done right there. You know. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh, he hustled you on that. So one. I was ready for you to be like, actually, it would have been a, dope to do yeah, a record with. I mean, hey, with Janet. I, that's because to existence. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. It would have been so dope to do something with that's, Janet. I mean, we could laugh about it now, but I swear you told me you had a record with Janet Jackson. And I just remember being like, when is this record coming out? <laughs> I sure it wasn't Freddie Jackson. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, but you know what? I, I, I got to say that that it, it was tough, I think, when I was signed with Columbia because it was really tough for them to try to figure me out as an artist, man. Yeah. I mean, I had a really, really take, you know, initiative to show them who I was. And at the time, also with my manager, man, like he, he, he struggled to try to get them to understand me mm. as, as an artist. I remember coming out with the album, The One. And my album was on the Latin department. You know, on like, yeah. go to FYE. You know, the, what's the, the, yeah. the big old FYE Sam in, 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 in Manhattan? Yeah. Where all the artists would go and do like the in-stores. Um, I remember walking to the store come on, let's go to the store. I want to go check out, you know, the album is finally out, you know. And I'm like, why is it on the Latin side? This yeah. is an English record. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm Mexican. But why are you putting this album on the Latino side? Like, it should be on the English side. Yeah. Where yeah. Neo is at, where the Chris Browns are at, and where Usher is at, and Justin Timberlake is at, you know. And it was tough for them to you know, to market me. So we had to take it upon ourselves to say, nah, this is who Frankie is. This is Frankie J. Like, this is not, he's not like this. Yeah, yes, he sings Spanish. Yes, he can write Spanish, but this is what we're prom promoting right now. It's, a, it's an English record that just so happens to have obsession, obsession with some Spanglish. And I remember we had... Uh, don't want to try in, Spang in Spanish I was about to as say well, that, man. You beat me to it, man. I and, remember that version. You know, it, it's it's we added those records on the album, the one, because we wanted to reintroduce them to my fans and to let them know, hey, look, this is Frankie J. Also sings these records, you yeah. know. And uh, but yeah, it was tough, man. It, it was all there was always a battle there, you know. It's interesting to say that because let's fast forward twenty twenty three right now being Latin is the wave. It is right. absolutely the wave. The, yeah. last, the last two years, the most streamed artists are Latino, right? You know, right. from Bad Bunny on down. On the know. urban side. On the urban side. That is true. Okay, you're right. Yeah. But, you know, I, I will say this, like right now, uh, Peso Pluma is currently having a moment and I actually was on For the sure. phone uh, with somebody at Capitol Records, somebody uh -huh. at Capitol Records that inquired about uh, Louis, actually. So he had called me and he was like, yeah. hey man, can I ask you a question? And he had asked me specifically about, you know, Pace of Pluma. Like, why? Mm -hmm. You're Mexican, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm Mexican. Why? He's like, why is Pace of Pluma having a moment right now? Like, why is he as big as he is? And I gave him my, mm. I gave him my perspective, 
right? But within the context of this, I want to say this, and I want to make it very clear, and I want to know if you agree with this perspective. Yeah. A few weeks ago, I linked up with the Dallas Mavericks. I put some t- something together for them for Hispanic Heritage Night. Mm-hmm. So I brought Chris Bettis out, and I let them know in advance, hey, I'm going to have Chris do the national anthem. This is what's going to happen. Let's accommodate him. So they, the Dallas Mavericks said, yeah, you can do the national anthem. Great. Everybody's excited. But they did not make those little accommodations that I mentioned, which was, mm-hmm. I hate to put them out like this, but all yeah. I asked was give them courtside seats. Cause For sure. If you put them in the crowd, it's going to be a zoo. Yeah. And they didn't listen. I mean, look, dude, we couldn't even get to the, his seats to almost halftime. But by the time we get to his seats... Exactly what I told him was going to happen happened. It was like the scene in the movie where she's at the department store. Yeah, everybody comes. Sure. In. Anyways, I say that to say, as we were leaving, I was like, "Hey, we got to leave." We weren't even up there for two minutes, and it became a just fandom at its at its yeah. highest. They they text me as we're leaving. They're like, "Come back, please." We, we want to make this right, but I had already given them in advance. This was what was going to happen, mm-hmm. and it dawned on me. And I don't mean no disrespect by this, right? right? But I want people to hear what I'm about to say. In that moment, I realized that nobody in the office that reached out to me from the Dallas Mavericks was Latino, right? right. And so here they're putting together- Well, then together, there's the disconnect. So here's the Hispanic Heritage Night, which mm-hmm. all they really did was copy and paste Taco Cabana color schemes and say, here's Hispanic Heritage Night. Everybody come out. But they didn't make the proper accommodations. I think there's so many parallels between them and the record labels. The reason why I say that is because you're right. There is the disconnect. How can people that are not from our culture try to market our culture to the culture, right? Yeah. And they, so they, they don't understand the language. So if I'm telling them, hey, Chris is a big deal. Baby Bash is a big deal. Yeah. Frankie J is a big deal. They're not from our culture, so they may not know. Of course, we want to believe that the world knows everything, but the right. world doesn't know everything, and we give them too much credit. I feel like labels are very similar in the sense that in order for them to truly understand how to market the music, to truly understand how to you know, put the music out there, they, there has to be someone that looks like us or understands us yeah. that knows that. And I think maybe at Columbia, that may have been the case, and not only with them. Dude, really, no, I, to I this agree. day, to this day, I think that that's still yeah. the thing. Because- I agree 100% with you. I think that there's got to be someone there that looks like us to understand what we are and what we represent to our uh, culture um, and someone that is going to get it. Correct. You know, and yeah, I think that needs to be um, there. It needs to be present and, and they need to assign you to someone that knows your background. Correct. You know, because if not, there's a big disconnection there. There's Absolutely. a super big disconnect. But I mean, again, it's it's a team. It's a team effort, right? It's a, it's teamwork. But if they want you to um, to do the work that you got to do, like they also have to do their own research and work themselves so that everything works the way it's supposed to. You know. But yeah, th- there has to be a connection there, and if there isn't, then it, it can become a disaster. Absolutely. And the voice has to be respected because to, what I didn't say was when he asked me, again, I want your opinion on this. Yeah. He says, why is Pesa Pluma having a moment, right? In your opinion, you being Mexican. I said, well, I mean, in my opinion, I said, uh, for one, he looks and, you know, he looks like the young kids. Yeah. And so there's a lot of young Hispanic kids that look just like this guy. So he's... They identify themselves within this person, no different than the way I identified with Frankie J when Frankie J was having that run, right? And I'm 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 seeing this, but then I tell the guy, I said, but think about this. These guys that are that are blowing up on the Latin side, right? Specifically yeah. Bad Bunny, Santa Fe clan, uh, you know, Peso Pluma, these guys are getting discovered in their homeland. They're not getting right. discovered in the States. And the reason why they're able to have an effective touring career right now is because there's so many of us in the States now that are being able to spread their music amongst all the community, all the Latinos across the U.S. I go, so unless you have somebody that can identify that talent within the States, you're going to continue to get guys from outside that are going to have that. No different than an American artist being able to turn Europe, mm-hmm. right? So it's, that's kind of what I gave them. But anyways neither here nor there I think that that's kind of been the ongoing struggle 
uh, for so many years. And and I'm, I've never really necessarily looked at you as a Latin R&B singer. I've never right. felt that way because yeah. when I first heard Don't Want to Try, and really a lot of your records, More Than Words, yeah. That Is Little Girl, uh, like I can tell personally that you were, you know, I hear a lot of influences. Influence, yeah. You know, I hear Boyz II Men in what you do. I yeah. hear, I hear, um, man, a little bit of Jodeci there. Like, yeah. I hear, I mean, I know you've told me that As Yet was one of the first records that you saw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, As Yet was definitely a, a group that I, I listened to a lot in the, in the 90s. Um, obviously, Jodeci, you, you named it, uh, Boyz II Men, absolutely. Babyface, uh, uh, Babyface. Joe. Babyface, um, for sure. Definitely a lot of um, Drew Hill, Jagged Edge, One Twelve. Um, so those are these are groups that that I grew up with, and and you know right now on the urban side, you know with Latinos, it wasn't big back then. Yeah, it was not. It was foreign. I think when when myself and when Bash came into the picture on the urban side, we opened that door for reggaeton to come in because the urban started accepting us um you know being the fact that we were latinos right coming into this whole uh new world of urban uh pop r&b hip-hop so to speak and then when when because i mean if i remember correctly in 2003 and i remember because i went to puerto rico I was invited to one of Don Omar's uh, concerts in Puerto Rico. I'd never been. Uh, I've been to Puerto Rico, but I'd never been to the island and actually went and did a concert with, uh, you know, with the Raza there. And Don Omar invited me to be a part of his concert. And this was in 2000, in the very beginning of 2003. Don't Want to Try was already a big record in the United States right here. Um, and it was opening doors, man, for like the urban, on the urban side, it was becoming more apparent. And uh, then that's when the whole reggaeton movement came in. And this was in 2004 when Daddy Yankee came in and with uh, Gasolina, I believe it was. And yeah, and we were going just hard, you know, and, and crazy on, on the, in the United States uh, on the urban side with you know myself with uh with uh bash with daddy yankee and then uh with you know the the cats from new york nore uh also nina sky i remember that um and you know we were doing shows together we were all doing some shows together and it was it was fun man it was great but honestly man i think you know we were kind of one of those few that kind of paved the way for a lot of these Guys oh, yeah, and, and girls that are doing big things right now with the urban side on the reggaeton side. Yeah, for sure. Dude. I mean, look. Dude, I'm not afraid to say it. No, I'm going to tell it like no, it is, man. Dude, I, you know, I, I, I was right it. there. I hear it. No, that's what I'm saying. Even with right now. And there's no, there's nothing about pride, nothing about ego. It's this just what we lived. No, absolutely. You know? I mean, look, I mentioned uh, Louis, the singer at the top of the conversation right now. He's having yeah. a moment. He's, he's starting to Good have his run. Good for him. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I know this because I know him yeah. his whole life for the most part. Uh, there's a lot of you there, you know? For sure. And, and I mean, influence, you yeah. Know, I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, influence, maybe not stylistically yeah, now, yeah. but I mean, you were an example. You were. No, man. and he's mentioned it to me. Yeah. You know, absolutely. he's told me. I think I got one of the biggest hugs that I've ever gotten from Louis, man. <laughs> this was back in like, what, 06, 07? Or yeah. whenever, I got the, whenever I got the chance to meet him the first time, he was little, man. Yeah. I remember he gave me a big old hug and he was like, oh, man, I love you. And I was just like, who the heck is this yeah. kid? But, you know, he's, he's very passionate, very passionate. And, and, you know, he's had his struggles and he's done some really, really good things. And here he is now having his moment, like you said. And I'm happy for him because, you know, it shows that he really wanted it. Yeah. You know, he worked hard and, you know, he was working with playing skills too. But yeah. unfortunately, nothing really, yeah. really happened at that time. Now he found his niche. And here he is, you know, spreading his wings, man. He's doing, he's doing good for himself. And bringing it all the way back, you were never an asshole. And here <laughs> we are, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that, 
like you got to be careful how you treat some of these guys on the way yeah. when they're here because one day they might be here and then yeah. you're actually here and the fact that you've maintained a good relationship I mean it's so dope look Frankie I don't want to cut this conversation short I can hear Andy's stomach rumbling from over here <laughs> We're gonna go I know that dinner. I know he wants to eat barbecue because he's a barbecue uh, connoisseur <laughs> I always like to take him to some of the spots around here if we would have had enough time I would have loved to take you little Frankie over there at Cooper's in Fort Worth but there's always a next time, and for I know sure, if man. we don't if we don't pause this conversation, stop it here. We'll go for another hour and change. Oh yeah, Frankie, thank we'll you so talking. much for joining me for sharing some of your your story. I guarantee you, we'll come back around. We'll do it again. But uh, thank you, man. Thank you for your contributions to the music industry, for what you've done for myself, for what you've uh, like I said, man. You know, you're a good dude, and you you. I mean. Dude, come on, man. You well, I just got to thank you, bro. I got to thank you for, for continuously, you know, communicating with me throughout the years, for booking me, obviously, here um, in in your uh, your home of, of Dallas, Texas, out there in Fort Worth as well, and, uh, you know, for the genuine relationship, the friendship that we've had throughout the years. Oh, yeah, it's man, it's, it's always, cool. it's always a, 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 you know, a breath of fresh air, man, when I'm able to, to have a great relationship with, you know, people in the industry. It's not a lot... You know, I can't really say, man, that that I I have a lot of, you know, um, a lot of great relationships with so many, you know, people in the industry. Only very few, very few, and uh, just you know, very honored to be here with you, man, and uh, to you know, to talk and and um, you know, just shoot the shit. <laughs> no, I mean, I appreciate it. Look, I actually have a photo of Frankie uh, where you have your hand. Over my wife's stomach, right? Oh, right. When she was pregnant with my daughter. Yeah, that's and right. You have, you know, the the photo with your hand on her stomach. Yeah. And now my daughter's thirteen years old. So I mean, thirteen that, years that, later, that just goes to show wow. how that shows how long we've been rolling with each other. And Sheesh. you know, so many things I uh, I would love to talk to you more about. But yeah. look, we'll we'll save it for the next time. This right here is Frankie J. Yes, sir. Uh, Y'all make sure to follow him at the real Frankie J. Uh, one last thing yeah. what upcoming projects do you have I need to know because we didn't get a chance to talk about yeah. what you're working on now what do you have coming well I have up? two albums that are coming out um, I have an album called Canciones Que Recuerdo Part 2 Volume mm -hmm. 2 well it's called Recuerdos and it's full of nothing but boleros rancheras and pop baladas uh, the first one came out in 2020 which did very well for me and i performed some of the songs you know at some of the shows so i'm proud of this this project and then another album i can't really tell you the title just yet but it's another project of covers from the yacht rock days from the 80s uh you name it from chicago uh the bgs um guns and roses from the late 80s uh just some beautiful covers man um and hopefully it'll be out by the end of this year 2023 and i'm also getting ready to finally work and launch my son awesome. uh for his you know his music and this kid has been in the studio more than me he's been hogging up my freaking studio in san diego way more than me and uh you know he's coming out with some you know some music himself and now i'm actually getting to experience you know um this kid doing his own thing he's producing he's writing he's recording he's engineering his own sessions and now he's working with several other uh independent artists so he's done some records for me um, you know already in the past and I want him to continue doing some records for me because I'm also going to be working on some new new songwriting and getting some original songs uh, done and recorded for myself but this kid uh, he goes by Bauti Bautista mm. that's the last name so he's calling himself Bauti and you know I'm, I'm proud of him so be on the lookout for him he's coming out Man, I can't wait, you know, and, and hopefully that kind of brings you back to those younger days, too. You know, that eye of the tiger, as they say, you know, whenever you're <laughs> you're back in the gym, you know, so it, it'll be good. But <laughs> I'm excited to hear, like I said, uh, to be continued. Maybe next time around we'll have him on the show yeah, as well, man. you know, and uh, thank you so much, Frankie, for everything. Appreciate and you, man. Again, that is Frankie J. I'll make sure to follow him and we're out.